0: welcome to the second episode of the hook podcast season three on this episode we got brett gertzer he is running a real chase fishing charters and uh we sit down and have a really in-depth chat with him so sit back strap yourself in and enjoy the second episode of season three One more. All right. So uh, on this episode, we got Brett gertzer obviously the skipper of Amakuro's. Nice as a guy. So welcome to the Hook Podcast, mate.
1: Mate, thanks for having me. Good to be on here.
0: Yeah, nice. Hey, uh, so. Obviously, for a lot of people that don't don't know but follow the podcast, Brett's one of the one of the big skippers that run Amakura, which is a, as a guy one of the Australian built asagais. Obviously, works all up the east coast and does a fair bit up on the heavy tackle side of the house up towards Cairns. The base the boats normally based out of Port Port Stephens. That's right, isn't it, mate? Port Douglas. Port Port Douglas. Um, yep. So the boats. Boats there, but uh, obviously we we bump into Brett a fair bit when we're down at Burme or up at Burme, and Brett's down at Burme, um, and and get to have a, a good chat there. So, mate, once again, thanks for for jumping on the the podcast. How uh, how did you get into the sport? I suppose that's the the real first question, and and why why the sport?
1: I guess you know from a young age, my my dad he was. He was into the mail and fishing, the sport fishing. So uh, you know, yeah, from when I was a kid, I was sort of following in his footsteps, I guess, going out with him and uh, and and you know, watching what he does. And, and you know, he'd go out with his mates and sort of. I thought, you know, that's what I want to do. And then, yeah, just just I was lucky enough, I guess, to. To get into it that way, I, uh, as a teenager, then had my own boat and I, I started started fishing out of Brisbane and the Gold Coast. Got right into the marlin season, the marlin fishing out of there and chasing your little blacks and and your blue marlin. And from there, it was just a, a step where I thought, you know what, I want to, this is what I want to do. And, uh, you know, from a young age, watching some of the old videos like the Malcolm Florence, you know, yep. I'm sure we've all seen them. Yeah you know, it was just, uh, yeah, just, just played with me and, and I thought that's it. So um, yeah, I, I transitioned from there and I actually uh, had a 40 foot black watch built into survey and we started chartering it, I think in uh, 2007, based out of Port Douglas, just for the heavy tackle season. So I'd come up from Brisbane and Gold Coast and uh, come up and do my uh, few months up there. And yeah, it was great. And, and from there it sort of grew. We, we like Port Douglas, we like North Queensland and we sold the Black Watch and got into uh, bought the the old Real Chase, which a lot of people probably know. An old fifty yeah, it's a fifty-five foot custom game boat and, and with that we we charted all year round. You know, we were doing barris seasons in Weeper and Princess Charlotte Bay and a lot of bottom fishing stuff, and then of course your heavy and light tackle, heavy tackle, light tackle up here as well.
0: Yeah, nice. So obviously you've you've grown up with it and you've you've gotten right into it did you find it really hard to to sort of at the start because from what i've seen traveling up and down the east coast you know this is our first big boat probably be our last big boat i guess as well but traveling up and down the east coast bumping into people like yourself and having a chat to everyone it seems like a really really tough industry to to be a part of and and what i mean by that is you know it seems pretty cutthroat there seems like you've got to have a name and if you don't have a name, then you're, you're going to be in trouble. Have you sort of found that? Or is that just a bit of a outsider sort of view?
1: No, maybe a bit of an outsider's point of view. Um, you know, when you knew it's like anything, you sort of got to be, you know, prove prove yourself first, whether it's selling real estate, no matter what it is.
0: Yep. You're going yeah, to get the runs so- on the board
1: got to get the runs on the board and you know when I first got into it uh, up here I worked for a couple of skippers where I learned a lot and they were pretty well respected so you know and I met a lot of people through them through the likes of Brian Felton he was he was one of the legends up here and um, he, he'd been on the reef for, for 30 plus years Scotty Nelson he was a great skipper who I learned a lot from so yeah I didn't just come up here and as a skipper I was on the deck for a few years first Yep, you know to get your knowledge but yeah you know when I took the helm to begin it's it's you know it is a bit of a tight-knit industry it's a small industry you know there's not a you know there's not a huge amount of commercial charter boats working out of here when you're you know in the scheme of things so and you know there's probably some skippers that you know what i want to have my own boat i'm going to come up here and skipper and and they're in and out of the industry pretty quick so you know i i um i started up and i i guess i proved myself and and i stuck it out so yeah, people respect that and and you know several years later i'm sort of you know a lot of the guys that are that are in the industry are, are some of my good friends now
0: yeah yeah uh, it's uh like I said, it's always interesting when we come up the East Coast and, and get to see you guys, there's certain boats that you're always keeping a bit of an eye on as, as an outsider. You know, we we know the boats that always perform well. A, a common conversation on the podcast is tournament fishing and things like that. It always seems to be the, the same boats win tournaments. It's not luck. It's because they've got people like yourself that have got the experience, got the knowledge, and they know what they're doing. Hence, why you have been in the industry for so long, and you've got that name and that backing. I guess so. Hats off to you, mate. It's a it's a good thing.
1: No, appreciate it, mate. Appreciate it. Yeah, no, I've been lucky enough to, and, and I've been uh, driving the Amakura now for I think it's eight years. You know, working for you know Darren Nicole sandy who owned the boat, and. You know, fortunate enough to, to to be able to run it for them, and you know that's been a big part of it. That boats, it's you know, there's there's probably not too many better game boats in Australia than that thing, so you know that's that's been a big part of it too. It uh, catches a lot of fish. My clients love fishing on it, so that that makes that makes my life a lot easier as well.
0: Yeah, we'll um we'll definitely come back to the the Amakura the Azagaya. But sort of going a bit forward, it, what is it? So you mentioned before that you did some barrow fishing. You've you sort of done, you know, the full suite of fishing, I suppose. If you could have any day to go fishing and chase any fish that you wanted to chase, what what would it be and why?
1: Oh, that's a tough one. You know, um, as a skipper, as a skipper, it's it's very different to me personally going for a fish. So you know the the ultimate day for me or the ultimate fishing is i, I you can't go past the can's heavy tackle fishery you know you just don't know whether you're going to see a 200 pounder or a 1100 pounder that day and to me that's uh that's what i live for it's it's just you know every year when the season ends i just like uh, i can't wait till next year but but me personally when i'm when i'm not working when i'm not on the boat barra fishing's probably my go-to, because it's so personal. Um, you know, you I don't live bait, it's all just lure lure casting. So it's all sort of down to yourself to, to get that lure in the right spot and, and tweaking it and working that lure the right way. You know, it's not up to anyone else to help you. Yeah, they can put you under the snags in the right spots, but it comes down to yourself, being able to work it. So, uh, and I find it very relaxing. You know, I find my barrow fishing... Super relaxing. I, I love it. You know, going away with friends for a few nights camping um, or when we, you know, take the Amakura around and do the, the Weeper Barra season.
0: Yeah, I, I, I do love it. So you get Amakura up there as well or you take the boat.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we've been down at Burmese for the last uh, oh, three or four years now. But prior to that, we were, um, oh, I think I'd done uh, four years out of to going up to Weeper which uh-huh. coincided with the, the Burmese season. And prior to that, I'd would i been at Princess Charlotte Bay for a couple of years, Lockhart River for a year before that. So I think all in all about seven or eight barra seasons. Yeah. And, you know, that would generally run from, you know, March to March to June. But Darren and Nicole, they, who own Amakura, they, they've, uh, they've fished out of Burmese for uh, multiple years. And they said, well, how about we take it down there and do a year? So we did that after the heavy tackle season and, and I'd never fished down there, so it was it was new to me as well, um, going to chase the striped marlin. And you know I loved it. It was it's an awesome fishery down there. So we we've done that for the last few years and and skipped on the barra thing. But I think um, you know I think whether it's next year, I think we'll probably be back around there, maybe next year or the year after, giving it a another go. I know you know I'm missing it, and 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 you know the family down in the they they're missing it and their kids. So. I think next year, probably probably going to
0: go back around, I'd say. Yeah, right. How far have you taken the boat? Like, what's the, you know, what's the sort of furthest that you've come? So you've obviously come as far south as Burmese. Um, or, yeah. or, you know, probably Eden, I'd say. But what's yeah, the further? Eden.
1: No, Eden, Eden's probably the furthest from home, from
0: from Port Douglas um,
1: or Burmagewy, because, you know, that's sort of 10 days and a lot of night travel as well to get there. So... Basically, you know, right down the right down the the coast there. Basically, you know, as you know, it's nearly the Victorian border yep. down there, and and then Weeper, which is obviously around the tip, you know, back down into the Gulf there. Um, as far as is as far as we've been up that way, we we have had a bit of talk lately of maybe even going across to the Kimberleys, so that might be a, a couple of years away, but that's that's in the making at the moment about doing doing something right across there
0: yeah right fair enough so the obviously is the boat gets around a fair bit and you you seem to cover your bases on a fair bit of stuff then
1: yeah yeah no she does a lot of miles that's for sure it's um yeah it's it's you know from Cairns heavy tackle which is September October November then you know December down the coast of Birmingham we're down there working for three or four months and and then back up the coast normally stop on the Gold Coast get a bit of work done and then straight into some bottom fishing trips and then our light tackle marlin trips which start in august and then straight into heavy tackle so it's it's a pretty full-on program and then yeah next year if we back in the barra thing we sort of get going in march so sort of have january february off and and then and then get going for a few months back into the gulf there yeah okay
0: nice so the last couple of years, I mean, with the world, with COVID and everything that's been happening, did did that really impact you guys a lot? Like, did you yeah, did it yeah, take a de- hit?
1: Definitely. I think all the boats, you know, up north, um, the, the charter boats up there, a lot of our clientele, uh, not just mine, but, you know, all the other skippers, a lot of, a lot of overseas clientele, um, a lot of Americans, as we all know. And without them being able to travel, it's it's yeah, it's been tough. And they're not just that borders shut within Australia, so it was more so just Queensland as being able to come up to the reef. So, yeah, it cut our, cut my season the last two years in a row by by two-thirds, I'd say. Yeah, right. You know, you just do a handful of trips. And, yeah, which... But this year's looking good. Um, I think all the boats this year are, are pretty booked up. A lot of Americans coming back, a lot of overseas clients coming back. And, yeah, you know, I've never had... Never had so much inquiry. I think if, you know, we had a couple of boats to run on, you'd book them all. It's just, it's going to be a busy year.
0: Yeah. Okay. So what, what do you actually, what's Amakura actually operate under? So obviously Amakura is the name of the boat, but if someone Amakura wanted to. The name of
1: the boat, yep. So we run it under real chase charters, which was my company uh, when I used to own real chase. So I ran that for a few years and then, I had a, a business partner involved with that and we went our separate ways. So once we got rid of that, I had uh, sort of uh, struck a deal and, and started working with um, uh, the, the owners of Amakura. They had a boat before Amakura called uh, Game Over. It was a 51 Riviera, which we actually renamed to Real Chase and it's currently now called Difkin. But uh, we, we just kept the, the Real Chase company name just because my clientele has. I'd always known it that. my website, was that my email was, was that. So yeah, it was just, just sort of logic really to, to keep that going.
0: There you go. So everyone that's listening in, if you're chasing some heavy tackle or you just want to get on a game boat, real chase, that's the, uh, that's the jump on the web page and, and check it out. Um, so obviously then that's probably a good segue into the, of the boat. Uh, the as a guy, uh, Australian built, so, as Australian, go- yeah, yeah, they're
1: Australian built. Um, they actually stopped building them about two years ago. Um, the legendary Barry Martin, he uh, he's launched his first boat in 92, uh, 1992, called the Asagai. Um, so it's been uh, been going for a lot of years now, but yeah, he's retired and and uh, you know, sort of he was very hands on. He didn't want really anyone to take the business over and, and wreck the name that he had. You know he had made made for himself and and the boats, but yeah, one-off builds. All every boat's different. Um, you know, Western Red Cedar hulls or plank timber hulls. They're they're a beautiful riding, beautiful riding boat, and you know a lot of attention to detail. It's not just where you, you know, like your production boats where they're coming out of mold. It's Like your own boat, as you yep. know, it's uh, Riviera, um, and you know they can pump them out in a matter of months. Where um, the asset guys. Uh, generally you were taking anywhere from 18 months through to three years to build just the one boat yep because they were all all custom everything was
0: custom yeah yeah they um i had the i had the chance to jump on deploy which which is the last as a guy ever built yep yep so got got chance to jump on that up at coffs harbour and and had a look at it and Kleine was running that boat. So ha- had a good look and yeah, dad and I were blown away just by the finish. And obviously, you know, being down at Burmese, I've had the opportunity to to jump on Amakura and have a look as well. And they are just phenomenal boats. Like, you know, especially, yeah, yeah. especially for an Australian built boat. I mean, there's only really a couple of companies other than obviously Riv and Maritimo and stuff like that, like big production boats. But when you're talking high-end one-off game boats. Um, I think O'Brien's really the only one that's left now.
1: Yeah, that's it. No, O'Brien. Um, O'Brien. Uh, yeah, they built a, a, an awesome boat as well. Actually, they've got a '68 on the go at the moment. Yeah, that's. Uh, I've been following that on Facebook. That's. Uh, that's going to be a big boat. Oh, it's going to be a weapon. Yeah, I can't wait to. Um, can't wait to see that one. Yeah, no, it's it's yeah. I've been talking to Lee about it. Lee O'Brien and, yeah, no, she she's going to be a beauty. But yeah, apart from that, O'Brien, that's that's really uh, really it at the moment. You know, there's there's not too many others on the go. As you said, some production boats like your Riviera, Maritimo. But uh, yeah, no, that's 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 pretty well it. Yeah,
0: yeah, right. Well, if so, another another one off. So if money wasn't an issue and you could have any boat of your choice to go and do, you know, your game fishing. Or the style of fishing that you want to go, you could go and build a boat, what you know, however you want it. What do you reckon you'd be you'd be looking for? What what's what is Brett's perfect one-off boat?
1: Oh, well, that's a tough one. You know, again, it's I'd have to
0: put some thought into what I wanted to do
1: with it. If I wanted to charter it, well, the the best way to get a boat into survey and, and the easiest way is to put an Australian-built boat. Americans, they build some unbelievable game boats. You know, there's some beauties over there, but getting them built into uh, Australian survey standards is tough. So if it was for myself and, and just a private boat, I would uh, I jump on a plane and, and go to the States. Bayless, a lot of people know the, you know, the, yep. the herd of the Bayless boats. They're, they're, again, they're a, a one-off custom built. you got to have deep pockets for them. They're, you know, I, I'm not sure of the exact, costs and, and so forth but yeah just you know very expensive to build one of my deckhands actually jake flynn he um he works on a uh, one of the biggest uh is called shark bite he's actually on there at the moment as we speak and it's an 80 foot uh 80 foot bailiff and yeah it's just you know just sounds like a machine but you know there's weaver there's jarvis bay Jarrett Bay, sorry, you know, Kane's boat down at Birmingham there. The FNS, they they do some beautiful boats as well. Yeah, so it'd probably be you know, jump on a plane and and look at getting a, a custom built from the states. I'd say.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Well, obviously, it's it is a bit of a shame that there is only the one real one-off, I suppose, game boat still left in Australia, but that. That just it is the door for someone else that's really keen, that's out there, that maybe listening to the the podcast and wants to give it a crack. You never know.
1: Oh, there is, and you know, it's it's funny. You know, deploy as you went on, they it was the last Asta guy built, but there was so much inquiry for for Barry to build a couple more boats, but he was he was finished with it. He wanted to retire. You know, I think there is a a, a big window for a, a custom game boat builder in Australia. It's to, to start up and, and and run with it. You know, something by the likes of Asi Guys and O'Brien's, you know, like that attention to detail, one-offs. And and people pay for it. You know, people are happy to pay for the the quality and the and the type of the boat they're getting. They know that does cost more, but there's there's a lot of people out there that are that are willing to willing to do it. So yeah, I, I don't think it'll be too far away before someone Someone opens
0: up and uh, and and has a crack. Fair enough. You haven't heard of anything, have you?
1: Oh, I might have. I uh, yeah, I might have. There might <laughs> be yeah. Well, you, might can be drop, you, you, can,
0: you can drop it. on the podcast, mate. We're we're all no, about come, no, on, come on. This
1: is the only things that I hear, mate, I <laughs> until you see it, you know, in, in real life, yeah, yeah. Just it's
0: better not to say anything. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, getting back to the fish, and then obviously the boat's a big part of it. But the the fishing gear, um, what what is your sort of go to fishing gear for the heavy tackle season? I know you guys have got the chair in the boat and all that sort of stuff. Do you do much stand up for the the heavy tackle, or is it all pretty much chair stuff? Or what's what are your sort of clients sort of looking at there?
1: Yeah, pretty well chair stuff. It's all it's all we it's all one thirty. Um, I have had clients on there that have fished twenty four. Actually, some years back when I ran that 40-foot black watch, um, we fished a, a Cairns tournament and the, the clients that out on wanted to fish 24 because in that particular tournament, you got more points for it. And they hadn't done the heavy tackle out here before. And I said, guys, it all, you know, on a 200-pound fish, no worries. You know, well shouldn't, shouldn't be a drama. But the problem is you don't know whether it's going to be a 200-pounder or a 1,000-pounder. Or a and we caught two the first day. Um, you know 200 and I think one was 400 and then the next day we we had one on for three hours or three and a half hours that was maybe 850 yep. and the angler was after after an hour was was cooked you know he couldn't keep going and they sort of changed it around with different anglers obviously a DQ'd fish but we still never looked like catching the fish you know it was a healthy fish very healthy fish and so after that they like yep we we understand what you're trying to say, right? Let's just get the 130s back out. You know, I've seen it time and time again. So, you know, sharks have, have become a more and more problem every every season. Yeah, okay, seem to be more prevalent. So, that's another reason why I like to use. You know, we all like to use the 130s rather than the light gear to give the the fish more of a chance to survive and and you know not have the sharks up its ass after. After release or even during the fight, if a, a fish is, you know, on there for too long and you're in a reef where, it, you know, known to be a pretty sharky sort of area, the sharks are pretty quick on them these days. And it's not just one, it's, it's packs of them. So okay, well, organic whalers, whalers and, and that sort of thing. So,
0: you know, we, we encourage people to use, you know, 130s for that reason. What about record fishing and stuff like that? Have you, have you done much of that or you not? that's not sort of really where you're at? or.
1: No, not really up there. I, I haven't done a lot, you know. Obviously, as you know, down in Birmingham, we've done a bit. We've got a few Australian records down there now, but uh, up there I haven't haven't done a lot of the record fishing. The records are, are, are pretty big. Um, you know, the one thirty record, for instance, is uh, what is it fourteen forty two? I think it is. And the thirty seven kilo, I think, is you know is thirteen hundred and something. So they're pretty big records to go and target to be fair, and, and you know, 15-kilo black marlin record is still around that 1,000-pound mark. So I think in these days, in, in this climate with, you know, the reef has got a lot more sharks there. That's probably the, the biggest factor why I wouldn't do it and why a lot of boats don't do it
0: is, is yeah, because of that. What's the biggest fish that you've you've had or seen up on the – or in in general, I suppose –
1: it's uh, it was a few years ago now, and we were up on number
0: ten Ribbon Reef, and I
1: had uh, a few blokes from the state over, and it was actually their first trip to the reef. And we we caught a fish the day before that we boated, and we we're going to weigh it. It was a, yeah, nice big fish. We caught it in the middle of ten, and anyway, by the time we got back to the anchorage where we were, we were trying to trying to get a mothership to uh, to weigh it on. And there was a mothership there the night before, but unfortunately, it had gone. It was back down to the start of the ribbon recess. there, so it was uh, it was a little bit sad. We didn't get to put it on the scales. We we didn't want to travel to Cooktown, and we didn't want to head hundred miles back down the reef, so we didn't weigh it. But getting the measurements and and so forth of it, you know, it was certainly around that thousand pound or over that just over that that thousand pound mark anyway very next day same part of river number 10 and and we got this thing on when i saw the bite and i thought it was two fish because i saw the the dorsal fin at one end and i saw the tail at the other end and i was like wow this thing's a this is a big fish and you know we had it on the leader within about seven minutes it didn't do a lot and um and uh yeah one of the boys grabbed the leader and out it came and it just blew us away and Again, we just said, boys, get the gas out. You know, this thing is is huge. And not long after, after it did a little bit, we got back to it, got the leader again and 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 we broke it off actually. But yeah, okay. how big it was, I don't know, but it was a it was a giant, it was huge. You know, it made that that fish that we caught the day before look look tiny.
0: Yeah, right. Okay. What's the uh what's the longest you've actually fought one for?
1: Oh, on the reef, probably about four hours, probably about four hours. We lost that fish too. So, but you know, there's been, and that's just us, there's, there's been, you know, I've heard of stories where guys have fought them for 10 hours, um, you know, right through the night. And some have caught them, some have lost them. But yeah, actually, I know Darren, who, who owns Amakura on a, a previous boat of his, I know they had a fish 10 years ago or, or something like that on a previous boat. And they, I think they fought it for, for 10 hours.
0: Yeah right,
1: and you know, I think they, uh, I think they lost it. Actually, that fish took them right up top of the reef. You know, the fish was basically in the breakers. Yeah right. Before it headed back out to sea, but yeah, I think four hours is our biggest, yeah, our longest fight. But you generally try and get them pretty quick. You know, you want to, you want to get them as quickly as possible.
0: I mean, what, what sort of drag is running on one thirties?
1: Uh, you know, yeah, on the, on the button there, um, just on strike is, is twenty kilos, and you know, you're getting up to around that thirty kilos on sunset. Yeah. Do you get up, up the sunset much? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. No trying to, trying to change the angle, you know, trying to change the fish direction, you know, you can sometimes turn their head and, and pull them up and, and that heavier drag can keep them up on the surface as well. Yep. Yep. So no, definitely uh, on the bigger fish, that heavier, heavier, um, heavier drag makes a big difference. A lot of the time anyway.
0: So what sort of, what sort of tackle are you running? Like, Obviously, there's Pen, Shimano, all that sort of stuff out there. What's your sort of go-to? Mate, we 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 run Pen. We exclusively run Pen on all our gear
1: now. Yep. You know, over the years, sort of played with both, but yeah, I, I find the Pen stuff pretty good these days. You know, I find it better than Shimano. We've had a good run with it. You know, no, uh, you know, just just not a lot of dramas with it, not a lot yep. of breakdowns, and um, you know, we get a lot of support from Pen too. So they're just really good to deal with yeah bait fishing is good you know the popping reels yeah it's not as uh not as dear as some of the shimano stuff so yeah i uh yeah that's what that's what i use anyway and you know each to their own but i think you know Penn sort of nudges it out these days over shimano in my eyes
0: yeah okay ah fair enough and then top five tips for um for setting up and going and chasing that that monster fish you know if you if you could give anyone looking at going out and doing it, what would be your top five tips? Oh, Get prepared
1: before you do it. Don't just wing it, you know. Get prepared, you know, with your baits, your tackle, and, um, you know, every bite every bite counts. So, you know, your hooks, make sure those tips are nice and sharp, and, and you know, leaders are tied right. Drags are done perfect. Yeah, just, just go prepared. That's, that's one real big tip. You know, don't just leave things to the last minute. Cost a lot of money to go out there doing it. Fuel, bait tackle all the rest of the stuff so be prepared another one you know trust yourself too don't 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 second guess yourself you know we all do that we especially on the reef you know you're you'll be fishing an area and you might be marking fish and, and you haven't had a bite yet and you hear you know a reef or two down there's a little bit of action and so often you've you are going, oh geez you know i should be down there i should get down there and you leave and then an hour later you hear your mate who's still up in the reef where you were just just caught a 900 and it's gone off. And so just don't second guess yourself. You know, if you, if you think you're in the right place, a lot of the time you are. That's how I see it anyway. You know, your sounders, they're, they're pretty good these days, marking fish. So yeah, don't, don't, don't double guess yourself, especially up in the reef, your water, water clarity. And that's the same as anywhere. I guess your water clarity is a big one, you know, find the good water. Yep. find the good water is a, a real big one. And that's so, probably the same so, as Burmie too. So by is that what,
0: yeah what, what do you mean by good water? What do you what are you classing as good water? Nice, nice blue water, nice blue yep. water.
1: you know nice blue water. And not much uh, sediment that you're seeing on your sounder. you know when you're looking at your sounder you've got your gain up, you haven't got too much fuzz on your sounder. Yep. So you know try and find it nice and clean on your sounder and, and to the eye is really important. A nice deep blue, purple color. That's important. Current too, you know, up north, you know, we like the current sort of pushing down to the south, coming from the north. Water temperature, you know, again, why these big fish come here every year is, is to spawn, is to breed. So, and that ideal temperature for them is, is that 26 and a half to 27 degrees of water. Yep. So water temperature is 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 really important. You know, you find that sort of that range of water. And, and you know that's what they're gonna like. So if you found good current, nice blue water and good water temperature, well, you've you've got a you've got a head start. Whereas you found green water or or you know, a bit of a bit of crap on the sounder and, and the water is up to 20 you know, 28 and a half, twenty-nine degrees, you know, you should be looking elsewhere. Yeah, okay. Yep. And and don't, you know, in saying that too, stick it out and, and don't double guess yourself, but don't be afraid to have a one to two. You know, as you know, you'll you know places in Birmingham there, the twelve mile, the bait hole. A lot of them. You know sometimes you'll see fifty boats there, and and why there's fifty boats here? Yeah, there might be some fish there, but it's because there's twenty boats there, then every other boat sees the boats there, so they all go there. Whereas that's the same out in the reef too. You know you think oh yeah, there's everyone's fishing up the top end at number ten or whatever. So that's obviously where it's happened. You know if there's not a lot going on, don't don't be afraid to go for a wonder. Don't be afraid to go out looking out wide. You know. There's, there's a few skippers that I could recall where they, they love going for a wonder and, um, and you know, they're, they're often rewarded by, yep. by doing
0: it. Yeah, I think we found that this season over at Burmy. I mean, um, we, were, we were pretty lucky this year. I mean, we, we got the fish pretty solid for the whole time that we're over there. There was only a couple of days where weather really sort of hindered us. But I sort of found that myself. You know, you start second guessing yourself and and because we're not fishing tournaments or we're not over there really working with anyone or fishing with anyone in particular. The days I turned the radio off and just went and did our thing and had my own plan and just went, right, this is what we're going to do. This is where we're going. They seem to pay off a lot more for us. Whereas, like you said, yeah. you're listening to the radio. You're hearing, oh, there's, there's a there's a bait ball up here. There's another bait ball over here, and you sort of start going, oh, have I, I shouldn't have gone here. And exactly what you said, you know, you're marking fish. You've got bait here. The water and everything's good. It's it's got to happen. It's yeah. just a matter of when. And yeah, um, a couple of times there, we were like, no, nah, we're gonna we're gonna move. And sure enough, exactly what you said. You know, the boat that had been down near us. Was on the radio to his mate saying, "Yeah, we're hooked up," you know. So, yep, I agree one hundred percent. Stick with your gut, and and that's uh, exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah, yeah. But now,
1: apart from that, that's that's probably it. You know, fresh bait up north again. Talking about up there, it's that's pretty important. You know, that's a big part of, of my uh, program every morning. Up in the morning, quick swim, or you know, spear if the boys want to jump in, and then and then on to get some fresh scaly tuna scad try and get some queenies but yeah stocking up and bait every day yep is uh is is really important you know your your older baits that have been sitting in the freezer for a while they they tend to blow out pretty quick just like a slimy down south you know and they've been sitting out there for a while they they blow out well that's the same as our baits up there so you know the fresher they are the longer they last better the scent so yeah really important
0: yeah nice the um what do you do much live baiting up there, or is it all like you're all towing lees lures, or you're switching, or what's sort of the, the no, program No, up now?
1: mainly um,
0: mainly dead baits, so artificial baits. Now it's um,
1: just you know dead baits. They're um, live baits. They don't last long. You know, ninety nine percent of the time you're, you're going to have a fish on pretty quick, but it's going to be a shark. Yeah. So it, it tends to attract the sharks too quickly. So. And, and, you know, once you get them sort of revved up in an area, it's pretty hard to get, get away from them. So not much live baiting is uh, gets done. Um, in, you know, previous years, you know, in the past, they used to do a bit. But, yeah, just just not these days for that reason. Lewis, you know, it's, it's different. We're fishing the, the edge of the reef in a, in a more concentrated area. So we, a lot of the time, aren't covering a lot of ground. We don't need to cover a lot of ground. We're working an area that might be two three miles long you know just in and out on the edge of the reef you know just coming over the contours and and we might sit there for days that's that's the area of work and that's where the fish are so you know trolling the dead bait and swimming baits, skipping swimming baits you know you're trolling them a bit slower but they're a they're a bigger attractor as well they're a, a bigger teaser in itself as opposed to your lures yeah okay but if we're going out wide if the fishing gets slow on the edge and we're going to go out wide and and try and find something, you know, some life out wide. Then we'll chuck the lures out, you know, pick the speed up an extra couple of knots, and and do it that way. But yeah, when you're on the edge of the reef, yeah, definitely baits.
0: Yeah, right. What's the uh, what's the longest that you can stay out for? Because I know you mentioned the the mothership and program and stuff like that. But if you guys aren't mothershipping and you're operating, I'm assuming out of Port Douglas or, or Port Douglas
1: the- Cooktown. Yeah. Yep.
0: yep. So what so what's a what's the longest you can stay out without mother or anything like that?
1: Yeah, I'm sort of self-sufficient for eight or nine days. I can go longer, yeah. but it just comes down to your your fruit and veg pretty much you know just just with stores um, so I I've, I've, a, I've, a, a, uh,
0: I've got to cut in there because when it, you mentioned fruit and veg i've I've seen how you guys live on that boat so, I can see why you go through a bit of food. I've, I've got yeah. to say for everyone that's listening, Brett is a masterclass chef. Oh, I got the go. privilege <laughs> of, uh, of jumping on Amakura the other day while we're over there and, and seeing the platter that he was putting out for everyone. So not only does he captain the boat, he's uh, he's the chef of the boat. So, yep. So, yeah, no, that's, that's probably the only reason that makes us go back. We hold about five and a half
1: thousand liters. So we can actually go, yeah, for, for 11, 12 days, but, it's about getting that fruit and veg, uh, you know, just fresh produce, which we can get bought out and we have done before. I've got a German client that comes out most years and does uh, 13, 14 days, and half of the trips will stay out the whole time. We won't come back in, but other times we've gone back in and, and gone and got some more stores and then gone back out again.
0: Yeah, right. And then mother shipping, like obviously, then it's basically just fuel. Yeah, basically just fuel. So, um, you know,
1: I do a fair bit of mothershiping these days. I've got uh, probably five weeks booked up this season with motherships. And then, yeah, that'll enable me to stay out for oh, for as long as I want. Yeah, you know, they um, they can they can take one of their smaller boats in to, to restock or whatever, and, and they hold plenty of fuel. And they're not burning much fuel either. So, you know, they're just sitting behind the reef burning, um, uh, you know, generator, I guess. So, So they, um, you know, they might hold thirty thousand liters. So we can we can top up with them.
0: Yeah. So you can actually top up with with the mother ship like that. Yeah. Sure can. Yeah. They'll have a. uh, They'll have, uh, you know, just pull up alongside and a hose there, which we can we can, fuel up. Yeah. Right. So what's a what's a sort of a normal package? Someone's coming over. They want to chase a you know a grander. They they get in touch with you guys. Um, Yeah. What what are they sort of looking at? So basically, um, you know, you're looking
1: at a per day basis for for the game boat. Game boats these days, they're sort of anywhere from 27, $2,800 for a you know forty footer, up to you know five five grand for your sixty footers. Yeah. And then you know there are a few bigger boats, which you know I'm not sure the exact pricing, but be more than you know obviously you know, seven grand or something like that. But your average probably boat is around that $4,000 mark. Yep. Um, you know, 50 foot.
0: And then for shipping.
1: If they want to get a mothership, then you're looking anywhere from seven and a half, eight grand for your smaller mothership up to, up to probably 30 grand a night for,
0: Jesus.
1: for the bigger one. Yeah. 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 So it's, yeah, right.
0: so it's definitely up, out there. Yeah. Do you do many of those? Like, is there, is there, is there much of the, the biggest stuff? Yep, no, definitely. Oh, not. I haven't. I had a few, um,
1: you know, Spirit, which is no longer. It's it's, it's been. Um, it's just gone back over to the United States. But that was a, one of the best motherships on the reef. You know, they were around that
0: uh, 17,000 a night. I have done a fair bit with them. Do you get more than one game boat tying up, or is it just the one game boat? So like Amakura will pull in next to to say Spirit. Use all tie yep. up and that's it. Or does another yep. game boat use the same boat or is it if
1: no no, just just that. So if, if there's a party of more than say four or five and they have a party of eight, then a lot of the time they'll get two game boats. So you'll have two game boats on either side.
0: Yep. Yeah,
1: right. And you know, it's it's not a bad way to do it because they can share the cost as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, your your typical mothership will, will sleep eight eight guests. Yeah, um right. you know, I mean in obviously, know, obviously, yeah in five-star luxury as well, so.
0: And you don't have to keep coming back in and out. It's a way to do it, no, I guess. That's exactly right. No, that's that's right.
1: So, no, it's definitely, it's an expensive way to do it. But a lot of the people that do come out, you know, they obviously got a fair bit of money and, you know, they like to do it that way and, and do it properly. So, um, you know, there's some, not myself, but there's a, another operator who has a charter, I think every second year, where they do a 30-day mother shipping gig for some oh. guys from the States. They get, uh, you know, a couple game boats, mothership, and and they're doing thirty days. So,
0: yeah, it's pretty out there. Fair play to them, I guess. Yeah, that's that's it. That's exactly right. You now, if you've got it, why not? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I see you've become a bit of a movie stayer over the last couple of couple of years with the uh, the cans game fishing video about up on the reef there. You're, yeah. Uh, so obviously the what was the name of it for everyone out there? On the edge. Yep. So on the edge. So if anyone hasn't seen it, highly worth a, a watch. It's on uh, on YouTube. Just type in on the edge, and it'll come up. You had a, a bit to do with that, mate. Obviously, it's drawn a lot more attention to the the Cairns fleet and actually what you yep. guys are about. And you know, one of the things like I always knew that you guys were professional with what you do and and how you uh, how you operate. But I suppose it really brought home how how much you guys care about the reef, how much you care about the fishery and what you're actually doing to sustain the fishery. So did you actually get asked for that or was that something that you guys as captains sort of thought, hey, we need to do something or how did yeah. that all come about?
1: Yeah, so that was that was brought upon from the Cairns Professional Game Fish Association. So, you know, Tim Dean, as you know pretty well, he's the president, you know, I'm the treasurer. Biggs is on the committee as well. And, you know, it's, it's something that we thought that, It'd be nice to have a bit of a presentation out there for, for people to see and what we do and, and, and showcase, yeah, showcase what we do, basically. So that's what that was about. And, yeah, it's been huge, hugely successful and, and, and taken by people. So it was just, yeah, it was just something that we needed to do. And, you know, everyone chipped in and, you know, boats chipped in to, to be part of it and, uh, and make it happen, I guess. Yeah, right. We had a um, we had a you know a dedicated videographer out there who was with us for I think he was out there for 30 days or maybe 40 days. Basically, you know a big chunk of the season, just jumping from boat to boat. Yep. And um and just taking little snippets here and there. It was yeah, it was it was really good.
0: Yeah, awesome. It's definitely like I said, it's definitely generated a lot more interest, I think. And and for those people that are thinking about doing a trip up on the reef or, you know, it's something that on the bucket list it definitely gave a bit more of an insight into what you guys do how you guys operate and like i said how how professional the whole fleet i suppose is across the board so yeah definitely worth worth the, the time and effort from you guys behalf i guess
1: yeah no cheers for that no it's it is With, you know 99 percent of the, the professional crew and skippers on the reef are, are very passionate about it and and very, um, you know, we we take pride on, on, you know, our backyard basically. We've sort of changed our methods a lot with killing fish. You know, we we sort of practice more catch and release now, trying to preserve the industry and and, and the fish. So, and you know, just take pride on the reef too. Um, there's been a lot of propaganda lately about reefs dying and this and that, and fish stocks are going down. So, where a lot of it's, you know, it's 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 bullshit. You know, yeah. Our fish stocks have, over previous years, they just the seasons have been as good, if not better, as you know as the
0: years go by. Yeah, right. Well, on that, like on average, how often, you know, for for a season, what's a what's a season for you guys up there? How many days are you doing up there for a season? Oh, a,
1: a big season, you know, a good season, anywhere from sixty to eighty days.
0: Okay, so in that in that eighty days, how many fish do you reckon yours would kill? Like, obviously. So do you leave it to the client to decide whether they want to throw a gaff in it or do you sort of have a say or what's the – and, and how does that process sort of work with, you know, with a client that's paying all this money that gets on the boat? How yeah. do you sort of – how do you guys operate, I guess?
1: So that's, that's really different between boat to boat. You know, everyone has a sort of a different policy there. Um, some boats don't even carry gaffs. They won't, they won't entertain it. We, we've, you know, we'll kill the odd fish here and there, but, you know, again, these days, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not all for it. So, um, you know, I don't have the gaffs out on display and and ready to go. You know, if there was a dream fish that, that happened to jump on the line, that was, you know, close to a record or, or something of significance, then, then we'd consider it. But, um, the last fish I killed was a few years ago for a German guy who had, Caught a and caught and killed and captured a thousand pound Atlantic blue, a thousand pound uh, Pacific blue, and if he had captured his thousand pound black marlin, to his knowledge and and you know it was going to be the only um, person in the world to get all three grand of marlin species. Yeah, that that grow that big. So so we caught one, um, and he'd done a lot of days on the reef for that. So he, he sort of spent a lot of money with us, a lot of days on the reef. And that particular day, we caught one about 600. A couple of hours after that, we caught one that was very close and we were about to kill it, but we let it go. And then literally 10 minutes after that, we had another fish that same size, eat the bait, and then we, we got it boatside after about half an hour and we decided to take it. And luckily, it, it, it went 1,032.
0: Yeah, right. But yeah, that was
1: a few years ago now. And um, that was for that, that reason, you know, sort of a record. For, for that angler. But, yeah, every boat's different. Every boat's different, you know. It's, some boats charge a fee for it and, um, you know, yeah, some boats just don't do it. They can cause a lot of damage, obviously, you know, as you know, your bills, yeah. gaff marks and that sort of stuff. So a lot of these boats are, you know, three, four, $5 million game boats. So having a gaff ripping up the side of the boat or a bill scrapping along the side, you know, it, it causes, causes a fair bit of damage. Yeah. 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 Uh,
0: I mean, some marks on the side of the boat are, are good. There's a bit of a bit of a war story and stuff like that. But some of yep. them, you're just like, yeah, I hear where you're coming from.
1: Yeah, that's it. That's it. So no, those days are sort of gone for me. You know, I like to see them swim away. But as I said, you know, it's it's uh, if there was something some special reason to do it, you know, or you know that that sort of giant fish that you know I thought was worth killing or, or a record, then then maybe. But apart from that, yeah, we just just let them go. Yeah, nice.
0: The, um, the other thing too, obviously, uh, you know, speaking to you when we're over at Burmese and stuff, there's a lot of stuff going on over in America with the tournaments and, and things like that, the the big Blue Marlin tournament. Costa Rica's got a massive tournament going over there with the Sueños Triple Crown and things like that. Yep. Do you ever see Australia running a big money tournament? Do you think there'd be appetite for that? Or is it is that, you know... Not, not in you don't see it or you don't think there's no, an appetite for it.
1: It's again, it's funny. In the last couple of years, there's been been a bit of talk um, between um, you know a few of the captains, Timmy Dean being one, myself, and 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 talking about doing something like that. So it's definitely, um, and that was just pre-COVID. So COVID now has sort of just you know unfortunately pushed everything back. And you know a lot of a lot of the captains will all get together this year because a lot of them has haven't made it up. The last couple of years so we'll certainly um no doubt be a fair bit of talk on the reef about it this year but yeah definitely that's something that we as i said just pre-covid we had um we had talked about about doing that so you know running another big lizard island tournament making it a major event different uh you know different categories that you can enter like you do over in the states there yep so you know honestly i, I do think so I, I do think in the next couple of years we'll see a A big tournament
0: come out up here, just like that. And you reckon Cairns is a spot for it? Is why why you sort of leaning towards Cairns? Is that just because the big fish are there, or is is there a particular reason you're saying Cairns, or what's the?
1: Oh, I think I think one of the reasons is I think your anglers that are fishing it, as I mentioned to you before, you know a lot of the anglers, you know they're they're wealthy people, they're paying big buddy to, to charter these boats, getting motherships, all the rest of it, so you know, they're probably the ones more inclined to, you know, to fork out your 10 grand entry fee or something like that, yep. as opposed to, uh, you know, some of your, you know, your spots like Guri where a lot of smaller boats, trailer boats and that, you know, a lot of people might sort of buck up about spending that sort of money as an, as an entry fee. Yep. So that's, that's probably the only reason.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's uh, I've recently been speaking to a few people about it actually. And uh, I, you know, I've been watching a lot of that stuff over in America and just seeing how things are, are being run over there. It's it's quite interesting how they do it and how the tournaments are actually run and things like that it raises a lot of questions about, you know, kill versus tag. If you're going to tag, yeah. how are you going to score it? Things like that. So it's interesting, you know, hearing from someone like yourself that's up there and, and runs a, a charter and all that sort of stuff. And it is all about the conservation side of the house. So yeah, it's, yeah, uh, it's that, definitely
1: interesting. Yeah, no, it is. It, it it definitely is. Um, you know, I was just saying about my of of my mates uh, or my deckhand, I should say, who's over. Uh, he's, he's American, and um, he's just finished the third leg of that triple crown, Los Angeles triple crown. Yeah. There, and they were after the second the second comp, they were coming second, just behind just behind number one. You anyway, they finished they just finished third, which was a, a pretty good result. And you know it's a big payday for them. It's it's pretty awesome, you know what they what they get. And I oh, think yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's it's incredible money. But you know we'll we'll never have what they have. We won't never have the amount of boats enter that that they get. You know that they get entered that will pay that sort of money. You know yeah. some of the um, prize pools are up to five million dollars in in total prize pool, like the White Male and Open. You know I, I think it's yeah, three or four million dollars or something like that. And I think first place white marlin ends up one and a half two million dollars just for the heaviest white marlin it might be hundred pounds. Yeah. Um, so so crazy. But yeah, we don't have the population for that, so yeah, but you know it'll be a good start, I think. I think in a couple of years' time, I think you know if we could get you know 20 boats entering a big jackpot tournament like that, I think it'll raise eyebrows and and more and more people will follow follow
0: suit. yeah. Do you get, so with that, obviously, fishing out of Lizard Island, um, do you get many trailer boats that sort of get out there? Do you get many of the trailer boats that can get out to the reefs, to like the ribbons, to to really have a crack? I know there's been a few boats every now and then that you see come up on social media and things like that. I know um, uh, ET did it a couple of seasons back out of, uh, I think it was out of his Quintrex at the time. Yep, um, yep, yep. But, but yeah, do you, it, is that achievable? Like, is it a, a realistic day trip or, or, you know, logistically, is it possible?
1: Yep, it, not, not up to the ribbons more so. You can launch from Cooktown and do it, but most of the trailer boats you see going out heavy tackle fishing, they're leaving from Port Douglas or, uh, or Cairns and fishing the likes of uh, Linden Bank or Opal Ridge, Jenny Louise Shoals, Spur Onyx. So they're fishing basically directly at the front. But getting up to the ribbon reefs You've sort of got to be self sufficient, you know, cooking, showers, bathrooms, that sort of stuff, have the range. Yep. So, mainly, mainly your bigger boats. And the other thing, too, is, you know, you, you can get some pretty nasty weather as well. You know, you're on the outside of the reef there. So, you know, if you're fishing days where it's 25 knots of wind, you know, you don't want to be that far
0: away from port in a trailer boat. Yeah, 100%. With, with that, obviously, you guys tie up on the inside of the reef. Is yep. it, does it, Does it knock off that much? Like I know putting the pick down and sleeping on our boat, if the weather's pretty average, you get the lapping of the water and and all that sort of stuff. What's it is it protected up there for you guys? Like is it, you know. Yeah, definitely
1: every every reef's different, but you know, we all know where the where the good reefs are and where the good anchorages are. So yeah, you know, it's it's your likes of number nine and number five, number three. You know, Opal Reef. You get behind those sort of reefs, and it's it's pretty nice. It's 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 pretty calm. You know, on your your real windy nights or windy days, and on your high tide, you get a little bit of roll coming through, but you know, nothing that'll stop you from from sleeping or, or cooking
0: or anything like that. It's it's generally pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Uh, if it's well, that
1: windy, if it's that windy, and you're up there, you can always head back into Lizard Island, which is only you know eight or nine miles from Number Ten. Yeah. Right. And you know you. you back to dead
0: flat water yeah okay so is that what you sort of normally you know if you're structuring your trip are you sort of factoring that in or is it you just sort of looking for where the fish are and then you sort of once you get to where you want to fish you sort of make a plan for the night depending on weather and stuff like
1: yep definitely so you know if the fish are up the top there at number 10 or you know number eight nine and ten you know you're basically some boats will go back to lizard you know and then other boats will stay Bottom of 10 or bottom of nine, which are really good anchorages. But if the fish are more concentrated in the middle ribbons, yeah, then you just, you just, you know, where your anchorage is going to be that night, which are your good ones. And you you just make sure you start, you know, that late afternoon, you start wandering back closer to, to where that is. So you, your run isn't too far. And you want to obviously get in before before nighttime because you're getting right in close to the reef there. So, you know, you got to watch out for bombies once you're actually trying to get in. Yeah. So you got to have some daylight.
0: Yeah, awesome, mate. Uh, so, all right, well, when when's the heavy tackle season start for you guys? So when do you start making your trip up? Yes,
1: so basically um, September, October, November, early December, even into mid-December. But, you know, your, your peak times is sort of that mid-September to, to the end of November
0: pretty well. Yeah, okay. And that's the – you've got – like you said, you've got a fair bit booked in, so it should be a pretty good season for you this year. Yeah, definitely. No, we're, we're booked out. We're – we're, um, we're crazy busy, and, and I'm pretty sure the other boats will be too. It's,
1: you know, a lot of people have missed out the last two years. So I think, yeah, a lot of people are looking forward to getting back.
0: Uh, awesome, mate. Well, once again, thanks for jumping on the show. It's been awesome being able to pick your brain about all sorts of stuff. I've got no doubt anyone that's looking for that, uh, that thousand pounder, jump on to the, the webpage, check Brett out. You know, having seen how he operates over at Burmey. You're not going to miss out. Let me tell you, professional guy, dedicated, and uh, if you've got that dream fish that you're really after, then you you need to have a chat to Brett and and get over there and get out on the on the heavy tackle stuff, especially if it's on the bucket list. I know it's uh, one of the things that we're looking at doing. So hopefully we'll catch you up there. Probably not this season, but uh, one season to come, I'm sure we'll we'll uh, pass you up there somewhere. Hopefully.
1: Well, you've got the tower now, so you'll be
0: right yeah I know I know there's still we're still getting a few things set up there, but yeah it's it's definitely yeah. coming along that that was one of the reasons why we we went with the tower, yep. obviously speaking to what you guys were saying and and listening and and hearing all that sort of stuff with the bombies and things like that. so but uh, yeah, look, mate, I hope you have a uh, an awesome season. I look forward to seeing a heap of stuff on Facebook and some some big pictures with those big yep. fish in it and yep, definitely. Uh, yeah, stay safe and stay in touch.
1: Sounds good, mate. We'll chat soon.
0: Awesome, buddy.